You're listening to the Formby podcast. In this podcast, Viking Village, the story of Formby, written by Edith Kelly and the Formby Society, published in 1973. The decision to make this into an audio book is partly because the book is very difficult to get hold of these days. It's also out of print. It's also an incredibly difficult read. Joan does a magnificent job wrestling the Danish words. We really enjoyed putting together this book and learning about all aspects of Formby, how the names arrived, where the names derived from, and how the land has been cultivated since 1066. This is chapter two. Chapter two, Manners and Monasteries. Doomsday Book. In 1066, when William the Norman conquered England, there was no county of Lancashire. It had been a borderland region of the ancient kingdoms of Mercia, Northumbria and Cumbria, and had only recently been conquered and settled. South Lancashire had at different times belonged to the Danish kingdom of Northumbria, and then to the Saxon kingdom of Mercia so that its language was a mixture of the two, and its customs and land tenure were also intermixed. Thus, we find two kinds of land measurement in use, the Anglo-Saxon hide and the Danish carriacate. The larger measurement, 100, which originally referred to the land occupied by 100 families, was in Danish wappentake, which referred to the council which governed a similar area and their custom of shaking their weapons when voting, the titles in use too were similarly varied. A lord or landowner was a thane in Anglo-Saxon and a dreng in Danish. We can form only a hazy idea of what the terms of measurement implied. In Lancashire, one hide was equal to six carriacates, and in a carriacate, there were eight bovates or ox gangs. An ox gang meant the amount of land which one ox could plough in a year. But as this varied with the nature of the land, it does not help, help us very much. The terms had, however, become merely administrative units by the time that Doomsday Book was compiled. After the conquest, William ordered the compilation of Doomsday Book for the purpose of finding out what the country was worth to him in taxation. And the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reports that he sent men all over England to see how many hundreds of hides of land there were in each shire, how much land and livestock the king possessed, and the annual taxes due to him from each squire. So very thoroughly did he have the inquiry carried out that there was not a single hide not one vergate, a quarter of a hide, of land, not even, it is shameful to relate, one ox, not one cow, nor one pig, which escaped notice in this survey, and all the surveys were brought to him. However, the commissioners employed in the inquiry must have been tired when they reached the north, or mystified by the strangeness of the dialect, the customs and the land measurements for the information about Lancashire is very scanty. In the Doomsday Survey, completed in 1086, 
the land of the present county was divided into three parts. First, there was the southern part, which was called Inter Ripam et Mersham, between Ribble and Mersey, and was surveyed as part of Cheshire. This occupied only a page and a half in the survey. The rest comprised Amounderness, from Ribble to the River Cocker, and the remaining lands of Lonsdale, Cartmel and Furness. These were all surveyed as part of Yorkshire. Between Ribble and Mersey was divided into six hundreds or wapentakes, namely Salford, Warrington, Newton in Makerfield, West Derby, Leyland and Blackburn. Formby was part of the hundred of West Derby and was entered in the record thus. Three thanes held Formby in King Edward's time as three manors. There are four caricates of land. It was worth 10 shillings. 10 shillings was the tax assessment. Raven Mills was also entered in the great book. Three thanes held meal as three manors. There is half a hide. It was worth eight shillings. Thus Raven Mills was estimated at three quarters of the size of Formby. Ainsdale too was recorded. Three thanes held Ainsdale. There are two caricates of land. It was worth 64 pence. It is not known who these thanes were. The same three thanes might have owned all three districts for Formby, Raven Mills and Ainsdale were grouped together as one unit for many centuries after Doomsday. Perhaps the three thanes were brothers descended from the original Forney, who gave his name to Formby, or from Raven, who gave his name to Raven Meals, but this is pure speculation. Whoever they were, we know nothing more of them, whether they retained their land after the conquest, or whether they were displaced and their land was given to Norman warriors, whether they fled from the country, as many former lords did, or whether they became serfs or vassals of new lords, by whom they were supplanted. We do know, however, that all the land of South Lancashire, as well as Lonsdale, Cartmel and Furness, had already been given by William to his follower Roger of Poitou, who in his turn had parcelled it out among his friends in return for service, and the fate of Formby becomes very obscure. One other piece of relevant information from the Doomsday Survey about this area is that the West Derby Hundred was divided into six parishes. These were Holsell, Ormskirk, Sefton, Walton, Highton and Childwall. Formby was in the parish of Walton-on-the-Hill, where a church is mentioned, though none is referred to in Formby. The parishes at this time were very large, but if there was no church here in 1086, it could not have been very long before one was erected. The Lords of the Manors. There was a succession of landowners after the conquest, so changing and so complicated that it is difficult to sort out the ownership of the local manors with any certainty. Two documents of the 13th century deal with families who took the name of Formby. The first, dated 1250, concerns a quarter of the manor of Formby, 
which came into the possession of Hugh de Corona, son of Roger of Derby, along with the principal dwelling house and all men free and unfree at a rent of 15 shillings, two pence a year and a pair of white gloves. The presentation of white gloves was when a bargain was struck, seems to have been a token of allegiance. Hugh de Corona subsequently called himself Hugh de Formby. Round about the year 1260, another document describes a grant of land by Hugh, son of Roger of Derby, to Robert, son of Richard of Formby. Hugh, son of Master Roger of Derby, to Robert, son of Richard of Fornaby, son of Albin the priest, a Sellian strip of land in Fornaby, lying in the ray and extending from the garden of Alan Norris to the Hanglone, also a garden at the Rising Bridge and the Messwage which Roger of Argamiles held, rendering yearly a white glove or one penny. Witness Sir Henry of Lee, Dom Robert Parson of Walton, Alan Norris, Richard Blundell, William son of Edwin, Hugh of Amesdale, Colin his son, Robert the Poignor, Walter of Carlton. The witnesses to this document are members of other local families and their names help to fix the date of the grant, which is not given. The document presents several problems. Who was Albin the priest? Could he have been the priest of the chapel of Formby? This seems a reasonable assumption and strengthens the belief that the chapel was of an earlier date. The fact that the priest had a son is of no significance, for priests were not required to be celibate at this time. Where were the oddly named places? The Ray, the Hanglone, Lane and the Rising Bridge. They have a Norse ring about them. Why only one white glove? Had Hugh to wait two years to get a pair? And since there were in 1260 two families calling themselves de Formby, were the two related to each other? Hugh de Corona, or de Formby, inherited the principal dwelling house and all men free and unfree belonging to it. It seems, therefore, that Hugh must have been the founder of the manorial family, for the principal dwelling house was probably the forerunner of Formby Hall. However, the manorial family, rather tentatively, claim Albin the priest as the founder of the family. These are problems that we must leave for lack of further evidence. Previous to these grants of land, a lady, Quenilda, inherited in 1212 two caricates of land in Formby, equal to one half of the manor, from which she drew a yearly rent of two shillings, which she gave to Cockersand Abbey. This land went to the Earl of Derby in the 15th century. Edward, Earl of Derby, granted his part of the manor to Henry Holsell in 1562. And by 1564, three quarters of the manor of Formby had come into the possession of the Holsell family of Holsell. The Formby family holding the other quarter. A later Henry Holsell sold these three quarters to Robert Blundell of Ince in 1631. So by 1631, Formby had two lords, the Blundells of Ince and the Formbys of Formby. Since, however, this was not the principal manor of the Blundells, and since their home was outside the manor, 
the affairs of Formby seem to have been more closely connected with the family that bore its name, although the majority of the people paid their rents and service to the other lord. The manor of Ravenmeals. In the 12th century, Henry II gave Ravenmeals and Ainsdale, along with other land, to his falconer, Warren de Lancaster, whose son Henry de Lee was confirmed in possession of it by King John in 1199. By 1212, the land had been given for rent to eight tenants, and one ox gang, equal to one-eighth of a carriacate, was the property of the parish church of Walton-on-the-Hill, which, as we shall see, had by this date a daughter church in Ravenmeals. By 1289, of the three carriacates of the Doomsday Manor, only one and a half carriacates remained. The rest, as was shown at an inquiry, had been swallowed up by the encroachment of the sea. The remaining land was eventually bought by the Molyneux family of Sefton, from whom it was purchased by John Formby in 1757 and added to the Formby estates. The Manor of Ainsdale. The Holsells had owned the Manor of Ainsdale, but it was purchased from them by the Blundells of Ince in 1630. Thus, by 1631, this family owned Ainsdale and three quarters of Formby, and by 1757, the Formbys owned one quarter of Formby along with what was left of Ravenmeals. This situation remained until the changes in recent years during which both manors have been sold or put into the hands of trustees. The Manor of Altca. At the time of the conquest, the land in Altca had very little value. In fact, the Doomsday entry reports that Uchtred held Altca. There was half a carriacate of land and it was wasteland. As a result, the king pardoned the thane who held it from payment of rent. It is probable that, as in later times, the low level of the land and the constant overflowing of the River Alt made it unprofitable. After the conquest, Roger of Poitou held Alca of the king. Roger later rebelled against the king, was banished and lost his land. King Henry III gave the land to Ranulf, Earl of Chester, who died without heir. It then passed to his sister Agnes, who married the sixth Earl of Derby, William de Ferrers, who, through his wife, inherited vast lands between Ribble and Mersey. In 1246, the Earl and his wife gave Alca to the abbot and monks of the Abbey of Merivale in Warwickshire, which had been founded by the Earl's ancestor, the second Earl of Derby. Alca remained in the possession of the Abbey until the dissolution of the monasteries by Henry VIII. After this, the land reverted to the crown and then was purchased by the Molyneux family and has belonged to that family, now Earls of Sefton, ever since. The Manor of Ince. Doomsday Book describes the Manor of Ince in these now familiar words, three thanes held Ince as three manors. There was half a hide, equal to three carriacates. It was worth eight shillings. By the beginning of the 12th century, this manor had become part of the barony of Warrington. And towards the end of the century, 
we find the land at Inns being held by Richard Blundell from the Bottilars of Warrington. The Blundell family had probably come into England with the Conqueror and their name had come from the colour of their hair, blonde. Perhaps in the first place it had been given to them as a nickname. About 1210, William Blundell of Inns secured permission from the Lord of Ravenmills, Henry, son of Warren of Lancaster, to construct a pool for a water mill on the north side of the River Alt, that is, on the Ravenmills side, and the two lords combined to make an eel fishery there. The Blundell family intermarried with the family of Weld, and in the 19th century, Thomas Weld adopted the name of Weld Blundell when the Lord of Inns, Charles Robert, died unmarried. No members of this family of Blundell now live in Inns, but as lords of the greater part of Formby for so many centuries, their influence must have been considerable, especially among the Roman Catholic population, for they always kept to that faith. Services were held in their own private chapel throughout the period of Catholic suppression, and they played a major part in keeping the Roman Catholics together at that time. They were often charged with recusancy and were later concerned in the rebuilding of the Catholic congregation and in providing land for a church for Catholic worship in 1688. They are often confused with the Blundells of Little Crosby, who still occupy the hall there, but although there has been some intermarriage between them, they were not originally related. The abbeys of Worley, Cockersand and Merivale. In the Middle Ages, monasteries played an important part in their life of the people and the Norman settlers, perhaps to expiate their sins, made a habit of promoting the foundation of religious houses. In the 12th and 13th centuries, particularly, Men and women were anxious to give a piece of land to a nearby monastery in return for regular prayers for themselves and their families, which might ensure for them a place in heaven. The Abbey of Stanlow in Cheshire, on the banks of the Mersey, was founded in 1178 and received many gifts of land in Lancashire. In 1296, the monks were forced to leave their Cheshire home because of flood and fire and they moved to the little village of Worley near Clitheroe, where they owned a piece of land beside the church. Among other gifts, the Abbey of Stanlow had received from the Blundells of Inns land south of the River Alt for the growing of crops and the pasturing of sheep. They had built there a house for a few resident monks and a grange or barn for storing the produce of the land. The water mill on the north bank of the Alt in Raven Mills and a windmill in Innsblundel were also given to them. Water mills and windmills were a source of revenue for the people were compelled to grind their corn there and to pay for the privilege. The Grange, built in the 13th century, is still standing north of Hightown on the south bank of the Alt and there are, as we shall see, many stories connected with its later history. Since the dissolution of the monasteries, the Molyneux family have owned the Grange and the land nearby has served for many years in this century as a centre for the territorial army. On the north side of the River Alt, the manor and lordship of Altcar was, as we have seen, 
given to the Abbey of Merivale in Warwickshire in 1246. The abbot kept a few monks at Olca to farm the land, though their grange has long since disappeared. Disputes arose between them and the monks of Worley about the use of the mill, the stopping up of watercourses and the drainage of the land. After the dissolution, this land too became the property of the Molyneux family. The names of lanes and fields near Alka testify to the former presence of the monks of Merivale on this land. Great Priest Carr, Little Priest Carr, Priest Meadows, Monk's Carr, Monk's Carr Lane, God's Croft. Carr means moist, boggy ground. The monks of both abbeys cooperated in 1274 in building up the banks of the river on both sides with cops in an effort to prevent the flooding of the land. And on both sides of the river, the fertility of the land was improved by their cultivation of the soil. One can imagine the pretty little trout stream, as it was described in later times, meandering across the plain with rival monks from the two abbeys on either side of the river, sometimes watching each other with suspicion and sometimes working together on a project to improve the land or busy on opposite banks catching eels or trout for their supper. Cockersand Abbey was founded in 1184 in that part of Lancashire called in Doomsday Book Amounderness between Preston and the River Cocker. It was built in a desolate place, a bare and exposed part of the seashore, unprotected from the wind and the tide. The sea wore away its walls and the monks complained that each day they were in danger of being drowned by the incoming tide. Many gifts of land were made to the abbey on account of its poverty by the people of Lancashire. And in the abbey's charter books, five gifts of land at Ravenmills are recorded between 1194 and 1212. One grant was made by Henry de Lancaster to the canons of Cockersand of a messuage, dwelling house, a toft, cottage, and a croft, small farm, which belonged to Simon the tailor of Ravenmills, with right of common pasture and other advantages connected with that land. To wit, 16 oxen and cows with their offspring, 40 sheep with their offspring, five mares with their offspring, five sows with their offspring. Henry de Lee gave a messuage in Ravenmills, which was formerly Edwin's, extending from the threshold of Hugh Poiner, Pinder, or guardian of the pound for stray cattle, to the toft of Robert, son of the priest, and right of pasture for 20 sheep. Another grant is of two lands in Ravenmills, to wit, one between the churchyard and the highway at the western plot, the other on the north next the church ditch. These records deal with the same families in Ravenmills as the record quoted previously in connection with the grant of land to Robert, son of Richard de Fornaby, son of Albin the priest. From them, we have further evidence of the community living in Ravenmills in the 13th century. For here again, we find the tailor, the pranner and the priest. They also provide definite evidence that a church existed then and that there was a road to the west of the church and another to the north and a further amount of land for pasture. 
This is a very different Raven Mills from the one which has existed from the 18th century to the beginning of the present century. Only one grant to Kokosan concerns Formby itself, and that is a grant of the yearly rent of two shillings from one team land for the health of the soul of King Henry and of her own soul to God and the canons of Cockersand. The grant was made by Quenilda between the years 1217 and 1241. This is the land which Quenilda inherited from her father and which was subsequently obtained by Sir Henry Holsell. Quenilda's grant was of money only. The land given to the abbeys was sold at the dissolution of the monasteries, 1536 to 39, and a great redistribution took place, out of which, as we have seen, the Formbys and the Blundells eventually emerged as owners of the manors of Formby, Ainsdale and Ravenmills. There is a local tradition that certain houses in Grange Lane, Formby, were associated with one of the abbeys. There is no evidence whatever for this belief. In fact, none of the houses in question was in existence in those early years. Tower House, which local tradition claims as an Abbey Grange, seems to have some old buildings which could have been an old farm. It is possible that such a farm could have sheltered priests during the 18th century. The quaint house called Tower Grange is relatively modern. It was built in the early years of this century, though one end of it, next to the Tower House, could have been part of the farm. This house has parts of other old houses incorporated in the building, producing a fascinating effect like a house in a Hans Andersen fairy tale. Well, we're fully up to date now. Thanks to Edith Kelly and the Formby Society for Formby Viking Village, read by Joan Rimmer. A hard read for Joan, so many complicated Danish and Viking words, but very enjoyable and incredibly up to date. Formby Podcast is an independent production. If you'd like us to share your story, or you have a story or music, poems that you'd like to share with Formby Podcast, email us at formbypodcast at gmail.com. Formby Podcast is an independent production. See you next time.